Anybody glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Anybody really glad to be in the house of the Lord today? There's a word that is burning in my spirit today. And in just a few moments, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew and also in the book of Ephesians. But before we get into the message this morning, how many of you know, if you've been a student of Scripture any length of time, you know that the, the Word of God can be graphic? You've read the Bible enough. You know that sometimes, um, to use today's vernacular, it can have a little PG-13. I mean, it can get graphic. The Word of God is truth. Every part of the Word of God I embrace. But it can be graphic in nature. And I, I remember years ago, I was in my first church. And I had shared from a narrative in the Old Testament a very uh, uh, graphic story from the Old Testament. Preached a message out of that passage of Scripture. Was passionate. God moved in a powerful way. Well, the next Sunday, a man approached me. And he said, I want you to know that your message last week so disturbed my elementary age child that she had nightmares all week long. He rebuked me. And uh, of course, you know, in my, I wanted to say, we'll take it up with the Holy Ghost. But I didn't. I, I was kind and gracious and said, uh, you know, uh, well, I'm sorry that she had nightmares as a result of that. So I, I'm, go I'm going to say this to you today. We we provide a great children's church at the Pulaski Church of God. So this is my disclaimer this morning. If you have a child younger than sixth grade, you may want to take them to Adventure Kids today because images and facts from the Scripture and this message that is on my heart may be disturbing. Now don't come up to me next week and say, I can't believe you, you gave my child nightmares. So I'm putting my disclaimer out there this morning. You ready to hear from the Lord today? In Matthew chapter 17, we're going to start there, and then we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 17, beginning... verse 14 it says and when they were come to the multitude there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying Lord have mercy on my son for he is lunatic and sore vexed for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water and I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him then Jesus answered and said O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. 
Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. In Ephesians chapter 1, beginning at verse 19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, when he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And they put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. I'm going to ask you to stretch your hand this direction. Pray for God's anointing. Pray for God's physical strength upon your pastor as he shares this important word for the body today. Would you pray with me, Father? We just come before you today thanking you and praising you for hearing and answering prayer. And Lord, as we come to this time of the service, Lord, as we pull up to the banqueting table of the Master, let every distraction, every detractor be taken away from us, be removed so that we can hear what thus saith the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, move like only you can in a way that will bring Jesus the glory, the honor, and the praise. Oh God, I sense an expectancy. There is a quickening in my spirit for a genuine move of God, for a shift to take place in this church that will change and transform us from this day forward. We thank you and we praise you for hearing and answering prayer. And for these things, we give all glory and honor to God. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. I want to talk about power today. I want to talk about power. The word power, most often used in the New Testament, is the Greek word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite from. I'm convinced that God wants every single one of his children to be kegs of dynamite that explodes with his power, his anointing, to dramatically affect change in the lives of other people around us. People are supposed to be changed after they've been in contact with us. It is simply not enough for the church to be labeled an, an organization with supernatural power. We must preach with power. We must sing with power. We must pray with power. We must witness with power. We must walk in demonstration and in power. We must be together in power. Power has come has to come from the church, and even more so now, even in this time in which we're living, 
There is an urgency within your shepherd's heart and spirit. There is a stirring that, going, that is going on. And I, for the last several days, I keep hearing the Spirit say to me, a shift is coming, and I want to embrace this. I have to embrace this shift. We need the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Someone sent this to me not too long ago, and it's a phrase found in Acts chapter 17 and verse 6. And it just simply says the early church was turning the world upside down. That happens through the power of Christ. In this miracle in front of us today, we see Jesus. Just a little bit of background. Jesus and Peter, James, and John have just descended down the mountain from a glorious experience that we have come to know as the transfiguration. Jesus has been glorified in front of the three disciples. Moses and Elijah have appeared from heaven and stood alongside of Jesus. And the voice of the heavenly Father has boomed from beyond the clouds saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. But now the time has come to leave the mountain and head toward the valley below. And I want you to get this picture for when they get to the valley below Jesus and the three disciples Peter James and John what they find is first of all a demon possessed boy a devil living inside of a young man they find a desperate father who is looking for any kind of solution and answer to see some peace come to his boy's life they, they, they look and they see that that uh, there is a hateful and a condescending group of religious leaders leaders that are standing by ready to point their religious finger at the people of God. And then they see nine disciples, personal followers of Jesus, that are void, are empty of the power of God to deliver this boy from demonic possession. I thought about that this week. Jesus had 12 apostles. Three of them went up the mountain with him. Nine were left at the base of the mountain. 75% of his followers were unable to deliver the boy from demonic possession. Three-fourths of his closest followers that had been with him for such a long period of time had, had, were not able to give this boy any kind of liberty whatsoever. Are you seeing this this morning? I, I thought about for Jesus personally. He has gone from communion from, with his father to now confrontation with the devil. He's gone from an eternal taste of heaven to eternal hounds of hell. He's gone from blissful peace and tranquility to the raging sounds of, of evil. I mean at the summit it is sublime. In the valley it is confusion. An awful situation. At the peak it is fellowship with Old Testament heroes such as Moses and Elijah. But in the valley it's the wildest discords of darkness that could be heard. From the king and all of his splendor down to where the church is baffled and beaten down. Heavenly beings above. Demons and unbelieving disciples below. But can I just stop here and say I am grateful that the same compassion that brought Jesus from heaven to earth for you and I also brings him down the mountain from rapture to suffering and service and spiritual conflict. He 
is high and lifted up, and yet he comes down to where we are. Let me just also tell you as a, a footnote here, it will happen again in the future, the very near future. There is a moment when in great power and great splendor, Jesus will descend from the hills of heaven to the valleys of earth. And when he does, the scripture asks a very key question in Luke chapter 18 and verse 8. It asks this question, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? Let me say that again. Jesus himself said when he returns, will he find faith on the earth? That caused me to do some real introspection this week. It caused me to ask the question, will Jesus find a church aglow with the blaze of his spirit or in the ashes of yesterday's revival? Will he find a church delivering alcoholics and prostitutes and lesbians and drug addicts or will he find a church singing their songs of Zion while desperate people die in the shadow of our steeple? Will Jesus find upon his return, will he find power or will he find mostly pomp and circumstance? When Jesus returns, will he find power or will he find prejudice? Will he find power or will he find a puny, pitiful, powerless church that's trying to preserve its seeker-sensitive reputation that brings in the masses rather than bringing deliverance to the bound and the oppressed? When Jesus comes back, will he find more motivational speeches than he will gospel preaching. When Jesus descends from the mountains of heaven to the valleys of earth, will he find faith on the earth from his people? Will he find the fire of his spirit blazing and glowing in these last days? These are questions that we have to ask ourselves because you see 12 disciples that day but nine of them were without power, which leads me to ponder when Jesus looks down, when Jesus comes down, will he find 25% of the church sold out to him while 75% of the church is anemic to help a world that's dying and going to hell? Oh God, help the church to use the power that has been entrusted to us, that has been deposited and is resident within us. You see, as I look at this sobering image, I see a pitiful condition of a young boy. It gets very graphic. You see, in the scripture, it's found in three different places. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, which we read. But it's also found in Mark chapter 9 and verse 17. And Luke chapter 9, verse 37. All three of the descriptions are very graphic accounts. In those three accounts combined, these are some of the things that we find out about the demon-possessed boy. The demon has been tearing the boy's flesh. He's been making the boy foam at his mouth. He's been making him grind or somehow gnash his teeth. The demon has bruised the boy. He's been physically abused because of the demon. The boy has now gone deaf. Not like other people born deaf. The boy has gone mute 
uh, and deaf doesn't talk because of the demon. The demon is also causing epileptic seizures. He would scream as he went into convulsions. His father called him a lunatic, not to be uh, uh, condescending or mean to his son. He wasn't insulting his son. He was grasping for explanations. You see, Luna in the, is the Latin word for moon. And to the people of that day, his seizures were regarded as a terrible disease that had been inflicted upon him for someone who had sinned against the moon. And the people actually believed this. Finally, the, the demon made the boy suicidal as he tried to throw the boy into the fire, as the demon would try to drown him in the river. And as I looked at this, I'm thinking, boy, if anybody's in trouble, this boy is in trouble. He's in, he's in so, so dangerous of a position to lose his life. It's such a, a, a pitiful situation. It, it, is, it, is, it is terrible to look at it. It's terrible to read the description of it. But there's nine disciples that are present that cannot bring him deliverance. Now, as I begin to think about that, there's three things that leaped into my spirit real quick that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, I want you to know that these disciples were called to the power. They were called to the power. Can I tell you today, you and I are called to the power. In Mark chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, listen to what it says. And he ordained 12 that they should be with him, and he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. In Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it says, And he called unto him, he called them unto him who is the power. He called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two, and he gave them power over unclean spirits. I want to tell you, you are called to the power. He has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, and through his Holy Spirit, we are called to use his power to turn this world upside down. We're supposed to use his power to witness, his power to heal, his power to deliver, his power to set free. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew and to the Greek. Jesus said in Matthew 28 and 18, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth, but he didn't stop there. He went on to say to you and I, I give you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and nothing by any means shall harm you. I'm telling you the power belongs to him, but it's been appropriated to you and I. And that's why in Mark 16, 15, he said, go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And one of the signs included in his name, casting out devils. We're called to the power. Mark 6, 7, they're called to the power. The second thing you need to see is they, they, were, they were sent out with the power. We are sent with the power. Verse 12 and 13 of Mark chapter 6, it says, And they went out and preached 
that men should repent. <laughs> and you might as well settle in. I'm going to be a few minutes here, okay? And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. All 12. All 12 had already cast out devils, had already anointed the sick and watched them recover. I'm telling you something stirred in my spirit this week. And I just want to stand flat-footed and say you may choose to live your life in some weak and frail condition, but I know who I am in Jesus. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When I am weak, then I am strong because he is inside of me. He takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things of the world to confound the, the mighty. I'm telling you, you and I have been sent out with power from on high. If you've ever been a person of fasting and prayer, you understand this. That within you, resident within you, there is a power. And when you walk in that power, you will effect change. Ephesians 1 describes it, says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead has been given to us. I know if you're like me, you have a hard time comprehending that. You have a hard time wrapping your mind around that, that the power that raised Jesus up on the third day lives and is resident inside of his children. <laughs> Hallelujah. So again, now watch. In Mark 3... All 12 are called to the power. In Mark 6, all 12 are sent out with the power. But in Mark 9, now nine of his disciples are faced with a demon and they're powerless to deliver. I had to ask myself the question, did the power abandon them or did they abandon the power? Hmm. They were called to the power first. They were sent out with the power second. And the third thing I tell you right here real quick, it's time that they return to the power. We are called to the power. We've been sent out with the power. But because of some of the choices that we've allowed in our lives, we've gotten lackadaisical and indifferent. I'm telling you, it's time to return to the power. If there ever was a move of God needed, it is in these last days. I'm telling you, the devil is wreaking havoc. He's working overtime. But I'm telling you, you and I are still on the winning side. We just need to awaken the gift that is within us. We need to stir it up because the power of Jesus Christ Christ wants to make a difference in the lives of people that we encounter. Let me hit the pause button again. I was trying to figure this out here. All this time, Brother Steve, to this moment, all 12 disciples had cast out demons. That's what the Word says. Up to this moment, 
All 12 disciples had been used in miraculous healings with the anointing of oil and laying on of hands. What happened? What left these nine disciples void of God's power? Well, let me give you a few assumptions. My Jonesology. Maybe they were satisfied with past successes. Y'all out there? We've already cast out demons. We've already healed people of sicknesses. Boy, isn't that a trap? (laughs) I've been in this thing all my life. My mother and father are here. I'm glad I'm Pentecostal. They raised me uh, when I was a two-year-old kid on a wooden pew. I used to fly imaginary airplanes during a Pentecostal Church of God service. I've been in the church of God all my life. I've seen things that I'm telling you causes my eyes to dance and my ears to tingle. There was times, I'm telling you, when the Holy Ghost would move, I'd be laying underneath the front pew of the church just watching, saying, wow, this is awesome. As the saints of God danced left and right and front and back, people ran with their eyes closed, never running into each other. The power of God fell. I'm telling you, I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've witnessed it. But I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we'll live on yesterday's ashes instead of saying, God, we need a fresh touch of your fire. Fire today. I was Googling not too long ago. Not doodling, Googling. Some of y'all saying, what's Googling? Even I know what Googling is. But a service popped up at the Pulaski Church of God. Years and years ago, the stage was packed with a choir. The audience was packed with people. And I watched as a young lady was healed in the service. I watched as God touched her. She took off from that stage. She ran around that platform, came down. I guess it was her mother. She ran and jumped into her arms. And I'm telling you, the place just exploded. Boy, I tell you, that was awesome. As I sit and I look across this congregation, I ask the question, how many hundreds of displays of God's power have many of you witnessed right here in this church. You've seen people saved that you never thought you'd see saved. You've seen drunkards and murderers and rapists delivered. You've seen marriages put back together. People filled with the fire and the power of the Holy Ghost. You've seen people that whose legs were, were lame, that were straightened out, whose, whose hearing was gone. You've seen their ears opened up. I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing to remember and it's important to remember but you cannot live off of yesterday's embers we need a fresh touch of God's power today then I thought well maybe 
Maybe the nine were jealous of the three that went up the mountain. And so they were jealous of the three that went up the mountain with Jesus, and they were left at the base of the mountain, and they lost their focus on ministry. Well, that was my title. That was my platform. That was my ministry. <laughs> Is there jealousy in the body of Christ? Ah, no, never happened. Truth is, we can, if we're not careful, we can get jealous of people and their gifts and their talents and their successes even in church. Or, or we get comfortable thinking we own a ministry and there's no room for anyone else. Former church where I pastored, God's honest truth. I hadn't been there but a couple of Sundays. The choir's got people up in it, and the praise team is standing out in front of the choir with their mics in their hands. Praise and worship is going great. The songs are wonderful. The praise and worship is done, and the choir's getting ready to sing. And two of the praise team singers that had the microphones, they didn't go sing with the choir. They went and sat down in the audience. Who in the world you think you are? You're good enough to sing with a mic, but you're too good to sing with the choir? Sounds like a little entitlement going on, doesn't it? <laughs> True story. <laughs> Didn't last long, I can tell you. A change was forthcoming. We don't own ministry. I love our praise team. I love our band. But there are room for more. Don't ever begin to think you own the corner on the market in whatever ministry you're working in. The ministry's not yours. It belongs to the Lord. Come on now. Y'all out there this morning? And maybe the nine they lost their focus because they were jealous of the three that went up the mountain. And then I thought... Maybe the nine felt the need for a sabbatical. After all, Jesus is not here. Let's just have ourselves a little time of self-indulgence. It, it kind of reminds me of the Jews in the Old Testament. You know, Moses is up the mountain in Sinai. He's getting the law from God. He's having an encounter with God. And the Jews just say, hey, Moses is not here. He's tying God up. God's tying him up. Let's just build us a golden calf. Let's just have a little self-indulgence. We don't have time for self-indulgence. We have to be ready. We have to be on guard at all times. Life, life can change on a dime. Lost and hell-bound people have a right to expect God's people to be ready to go to battle and to win the conflict through the power that is in the name of Jesus. What were the reasons that the nine were void of power? Self-indulgence, jealous of others. Jesus told them why. Those three reasons 
possibly considered. He looked at him and he said, I'll tell you why. Because of your unbelief. Because of your unbelief. Because of your lack of devotion. You know, you know devotion, if you're going to be a power keg for Christ, it's going to take intercession and self-denial. It's going to take prayer and fasting. It's going to take boldness and courage. Again, I keep hearing it in my spirit. 2021 is going to be the year of the shift. But I'm going to tell you, it's going to take bold Christians willing to commit to prayer and fasting. Maybe you've changed too much in your translations of the Bible. Because in some translations, Matthew 17, 21 and Mark 9, 29 has been taken out. But these verses tell us that there are some battles that will not be won except through fasting and prayer. There's authority in the room for those who fast and pray. There's anointing in the room for those who fast and pray. There's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Break every chain. Maybe we need to quit giving another pill and taking another narcotic and, and looking for another shoulder to cry on. Christians with the greatest intentions, we can be some of the greatest enablers. Credibility of the church is at stake. But there's still wonder-working power in the name of Jesus. We're called to the power. We're sent with the power. We need to return to the power. This may hard for, be hard for you to embrace. But when I looked at this miracle, it kind of leaped off the pages. Jesus didn't heal the boy of being deaf or mute. He cast out the demon. Now, there's other times he healed deaf people. There's other times he healed mute people. He healed lame people. But this boy was mute and deaf because of a devil living inside of him. When the devil was cast out, the healing came. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was, Lord help me. Lord help me here. I, I, was, I was thinking this week about the homosexual. I was thinking this week about lesbianism. And how in 2020 the church at large sees it more as a social inconvenience than it does the bondage that it really is. Come on now, somebody help me here. We're afraid to deal with it, afraid to confront it. 
and from the West Coast sweeping east. There are preachers that will not renounce it and come against it in the name of Jesus, even though the word is very clear that it is not just a sin, it is an abomination to the Lord. The world sees it as a social lifestyle, and the church now sees it as a social inconvenience. Whether they believe they were created that way, or whether they have been drawn in a warped way toward the same sex through their lust, it is still an abomination. And that's sometimes we stay away from these terms. But there can be a demon of homosexuality at work. There can be a demon of alcoholism. There can be a demon of infirmity, which we see in this scripture. A demon of pornography. A demon of a lying spirit. Hey, Pastor, all right, you're, getting, you're getting a little far-fetched here. The devil can dress it up. And he can make us so immune in the name of community friendliness. We better be careful not to be darkness friendly. Sin is still sin. Sin is still separating people from God. Sin will still keep you out of heaven. Sin will still send you to hell. True story. Mahish Shavda in his book, The Hidden Power of Prayer and Fasting. He said it was 1973, and he said, I got a phone call from two pastors. And they said, Brother Mahish, come quickly. We were praying for a man who is a homosexual, and suddenly a demon began talking through him. We are afraid. And Brother Mahish Shavda said, well, just cast the demon out of him. But they said, Brother Mahish, we're afraid. But you are pastors. Please come and help us. Mahish got into his car and drove to their location and opened the front door to the house. And he found the two pastors hiding in the broom closet. He said, what are you doing in here? The demon is out there. homosexual for 18 years. Mahish Shabda stood there and the demon had come to the surface. The man's whole countenance had been transformed into a mask of evil. And in an incredibly evil tone, he looked at Mahish Shabda and he said, come over here. I would like to have fellowship with you. Mahish Shabda looked and said, you want to have fellowship with me? Do you know what the scriptures say? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. 
Mahishavda looked at that demon and said, demon, can you say the blood of Jesus? In fact, he said, devil, I command you to say the blood of Jesus. The man's hands started twisting. Bones started cracking. Ankles began to twist in a contorted fashion. And he fell on the floor and started writhing. Brother Mahish said it again. He said, I command you, say the blood of Jesus. Finally, he the, the demon went blah, blah. Then the man seemed to regurgitate and the demon came out screaming. I'm telling you, there is still wonder working power in the name of Jesus Christ. We've got to rise up and accept the authority and the anointing and the power that has been given to us from on high. Five years later, Mahish Shabda returned to the area and a man knocked on his hotel door. He opened the door, he remembered his face, and he said, Brother Mahish Shabda, I want to introduce you to someone. He stepped aside so he could see the young lady who was with him, and he said, we've been married for five years, and I was totally delivered and set free. I'm telling you, you want to talk about some coming out of the closet? How about some believers come out of the broom closet and say, you know what? We've got the holy authority and the anointing that is in the name of the Son of God. We're out to make a difference. We're not playing any games. If God is for us, who can be against us? Hallelujah. You have the power to give children and young people and young adults back their lives. You have the power to help people find their robe of righteousness. I'm telling you, there's a shift in the atmosphere. Addictions and habits and enslavements. Well, this is just a trial coming in my life. And there are trials. There are trials. But don't you know that in the caverns of darkness there is an agenda that is assigned against you? If Jesus said that the devil comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy, there are plans being hatched to destroy you. There's a target on your back. Maybe your infirmity is not so much a trial as it is an attack. Is it possible? I'm not nullifying trials. Not at all. They happen to every one of us. But is it possible that what you're treating as a trial is really just a, a demon of infirmity coming against you? Ah, oh, nah. Nah, it's too far-fetched. You can't be possessed. You can't. You're a child of God. You can't be possessed. 
that you can sure be oppressed. Come on now, somebody help me here. Devil can't live inside of you, but he can sure bring all hell against you. All you have to do is go back to the book of Job. God allowed the physical affliction, but the devil sent the physical affliction. Thank you, Holy Ghost. But you have power. You have power. And what does the scripture say? To you that have power? Listen. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. My God, my God. Because you've been called to the power, you've been sent with the power, and now you... Maybe you have returned to the power. I don't know there, everything there is to know about spiritual things. I may get myself in trouble with some in the medical field. But I think sometimes we've given medication to something that is spiritual. You don't hear a whole lot about demons anymore, do you? You don't hear a lot about demonic oppression or demonic possession. I'm not saying that every homosexual is demon-possessed. I'm not saying that every alcoholic is demon-possessed. I'm not saying that everyone, anyone that has a problem with pornography is possessed of a demon. But I'm telling you, demons exist to destroy God's image, you and I. today and you're lost Jesus wants to set you free well you don't understand my habits my addictions my enslavements I'm telling you there's no weapon that is formed against you that will prosper once you turn your life over to the Lord altars open for you. But I tell you, this is, this is what I feel led. Twenty to twenty-five, fifty people. I don't know. Maybe all of you come. I don't know. But this is, this is what God has laid upon my spirit, my heart. We need to take a few moments to do some warfare praying. 
you, you know of some things going on in your life, in your family, one of your kids, in your health, on your job, and you know that it's warfare. And the Holy Spirit has sent your shepherd by to tell you you've been called to the power, you've been sent with the power, it's time to return to the power. It's time to take authority in the name of Jesus. Anybody in the house? Anybody in the house?